for those of you who are visiting and joining, I just obviously want to welcome you as well. Um, and we have been in a series on Gideon, on the Awakening Church. This is my fourth week, and uh, so it will be the last week. So I'm not sure if, we, if I'm going to be able to finish today. But um, Judges 6 and 7 is just such an important chapter in my own life. It's a story of Gideon. And who, well, if you're here and you haven't been part of the last three weeks, um, I would encourage you to go listen to it. Some of the, what I have to say today is in that context. So if you get lost a little bit, I, I'm sure God will still speak to you. But I want to start by reading this. Awake, awake. This is a combination of Isaiah 52 and, the, and uh, Scripture in Ephesians. Awake, awake, and put on strength. Put on your beautiful garments. Awake, O sleeper. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. And, you know, Leonard Ravenhill said, I said this last week as well, before he died, the greatest tragedy is a sick church in a dying world. And we're there again, unfortunately. And so this is not to bring any heaviness or condemnation, but I believe there's a great awakening of the Lord beginning and starting to take place in people's hearts that will begin to bring some change. But when it says awake, awake, put on strength, put on beautiful garments, that does have to do with identity. Garments in the Old Testament was an identity issue. And it's learning to put on what Christ has won. Learning to think like that, live like that, see other people like that. Put on your garments. So, please turn to Judges 7. Just a quick recap is you see the nation of Israel have walked away from the Lord as they constantly did. And, and the Midianites have been oppressing them for seven years, and it's the Midianites, the people of the East, and the Amalekites. You can go read it. We've taken three weeks and one chapter in Judges 6. We're going to try to do a whole chapter today, so that's going to be interesting. But if you look at it prophetically, obviously we look at the Old Testament with New Testament spectacles or New Testament lenses. Midianites represent the system of the world, the culture that surrounds us, and I've taught into that in the Hebrew and what it means and all of that. And the Amalekites actually represent the flesh and the people of the east. It says they would come with swarms as of locusts. It's the overwhelming voices. And everyone knows, what, you know what it's like to feel so overwhelmed you don't know where to start and so you do nothing? Yeah, it's that. And so the people of Israel, God's people, that's the church. And the church is sowing and sowing. It says whenever Israel had sown, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the people of the east would come in and destroy the produce of the land. And so, you know, it's, it leads to an impoverished church. And they were hiding in dens and caves and strongholds in the mountains. And they started worshiping, actually, the God of the Midianites, which isn't so smart. And so they're doing all of this. And then God, they begin to cry out to God. Because every time we sow, you know, we're just doing the right things. We're sowing. We're doing what we know. But the enemy comes in, the system, the culture that surrounds the world, which is actually set up by the enemy. It's not the people. It's what's behind. Hello? We don't fight flesh and blood. The, the culture and the systems of the world set up by the prince of the air, and it's different in each city, in each place. And so that reaches out, in a sense, and becomes appetizing and partners with the old flesh, of old, the, the old man. And they, they partner together. And they come and destroy with overwhelming voices. And so it's like we sow, we sow. And it says they even took the laborers for the harvest. That sounds familiar. 
And so they come and snatch the harvest. They come and snatch the laborers. They come and take those who are called by God. And they just snatch them all up. And so Israel begins to cry out to the Lord, developing a cry for, for God. And God reveals himself to this guy Gideon. Well, he, he meets him where he's at. He speaks identity into him. We won't go over that. But primarily, he reveals himself. And whenever we cry out to the Lord, there's something of the nature and the person of God that he will reveal to you. Not here, here. And he reveals. He says, you have an issue. I'm the solution. And he reveals Jehovah Shalom. It's one of the names of God in the Old Testament. And it's interesting because here you see uh, Gideon starts to worship. He sets up an altar and starts to worship Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. But they're in war. And I said this last week, it's very important. When people learn, when God's people, individuals or as a, as a, as a whole, as a community, as a local church, when they learn to worship, genuine worship, spirit and truth, worship God, for who he is, for what has been revealed to you, specifically in the midst of a contradicting circumstance. He's worshiping God, for he's the God of peace. They're at war. That is how God positions a person to begin to release and demonstrate that attribute for the benefit of many. Very, very important to understand. So all this is happening. We have a subdued church. They're hiding away. Then Gideon goes and tears down the altars. He tears down the altars and the Ashtoreth poles. In other words, he pulls down strongholds over God's people. That's causing God's people to think like the world, look like the world. They forgot who God was. They were living under the cloud of Manasseh, which means to forget. You know, and they've walked over. So he goes and tears the stuff down. And he, in a sense, the next day they all wake up and everyone's mad at him. Church is mad. Everyone's mad. People of the city, mad. They want to kill him. Kind of like Jesus. They're all upset. Religion is very upset. And the res- it's not actually the response of the people. It's the response of the enemy through the people. And it's very important for us to understand, and I said this last week, the enemy's response when he loses ground, small or big, is always division. Always. So he will bring division. And that's exactly what happens. But Joash, the father, comes along, gathers everyone together. But did you ever consider that division is a sign of the enemy's fear of an awakened church? The enemies, <coughs> did you ever consider that division is a sign of the enemy's fear of an awakened church? So I look at the nation. I look at what's happened in the world. And a lot of people are, uh, there's panic and fear. And I get we need to come against it. I get we need to pray. But I see a terrified enemy. It's just what I see. So I get excited. It's like, ooh, what's God going to do now? Mm. It's good to think like that. So now Judges 7. Judges 7. So I want to paint a quick lens for this. I mean, I have to skip over some stuff. But they are assured that the Lord is with them now. They've experienced God. They saw the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. A whole generation hadn't seen that for 40 years. So they see the Spirit of God in their midst. He's changed their hearts. He's brought spiritual unity. They've torn down strongholds over the church. They've, every, everything has changed. There's, there's, a, there's been what we would deem as a revival. This is what I'm trying to put a lens here for us to see it. There's been a revival 
in the church. That's what happened in Judges chapter 6, towards the end. They've had their identity start to become more established. There's been healing within God's people. There's spiritual unity. God's moved powerfully. They're together. They won. Their worship was restored. All of this has happened. So it's like revival. But they've torn down the strongholds that were over God's people, but not yet over the region, over the city, over the nation. And that's what happens in Judges chapter 7. So we're going to look at Judges chapter 7 with that understanding. What does the church do when God has moved, when God has changed hearts? So for some of you, you'd be like, whoa, I'm not there yet. You are in some place of your life, and you may not be, but listen anyway. Because what it, well, I've, I've studied a little bit of church history. I love studying revivals. And often while they end, is because there's a purpose for which it comes. But we want to just keep, just like that, you know. Come back, come back, come back. But there's a, when God begins to move, it's to revive and awaken church unto purpose. So that then they can tear down regions and strongholds, not just over us and our lives, over nations. Jesus is the longing of the nations, over cities. People say, you're dreaming. No, I'm, it's in the Bible. It's a reality. And it should be a reality. So today... I'm not going to talk about the awakening church, but the normal church. What does a normal church look like when God's moved? What do we see? So, can I pray? I guess that was rhetorical, because I'm going to do it anyway. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for your word. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you are present with the spirit of truth that comes with conviction to convict hearts. Lord, I thank you that your word is all authority and we thank you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation that pierces right through and brings adjustment and change. Father, let us dream again. Psalm 126 says, and there was laughter in their mouth for they could dream again. Lord, let the church arise in this hour and begin to recognize you again and remember your heart for this world. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, Judges chapter 7. <clears throat> then Jerubbabel, or Jerubbabel, that is Gideon. So you see the identity is now, it's in place. Everywhere he goes, he reminds the enemy that he lost. And all the people who were with him, with him rose early, and he camped beside the wall of Herod. And so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. And the Lord God said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many. There was 32,000. And some, of, uh, some people are saying, oh, you skipped over the end of chapter 6 about the fleece. I want to hear about the fleece. Let me just say this. Unfortunately, it's the most famous part of that story. It is not actually the way to live. He put out a fleece because he was learning to hear. And we have a thing of, oh, you know, you've got to make a decision. Just put out a fleece. No, just do what he says. And because he was... God was still working with him, that's fine. We see the grace of God, but it doesn't mean that's the process to make a decision. Does it make sense? All right, so I skipped over it. So uh, let's go to, uh, sorry, I'll, I got distracted. And the Lord said to get in, the people who are with you are too many <clears throat> for me to give the Midianites into their hands. 
lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. If you've ever been in leadership and you know you've got to speak to people, God said, tell the people who are afraid they can go. Later on, you'll see Gideon's still afraid. You know, and there was actually four reasons. This was something out of the law of Moses. Four reasons that they could give military exemption. Build a house if you're engaged, um, if you're fearful, and I forget the other one. And God picks that one. Four reasons in the law of Moses. And God picks the issue that Gideon's struggling with. <laughs> what does it do, you know, when you're having to tell people, if you're afraid, you, you can go. But in your heart, you're like, well, I'm afraid. You know? It brings a humility. So he says, Proclaim in the hearing of the people, whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. We all know the story. Well, many of us know the story. Bring them down to the water, and there I will test them for you. I will test them for you there. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And of whomever I say, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go with you. And so he brought the people down to the water, um, and, <clears throat> and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink, and the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths with 300, um, and all the rest of the people that got down on their knees to drink water. And, and there's a lot in that. I've heard a lot of people preach about that. And those who, you know, went all the way down, put their face to the water. They weren't having any military preparedness. And we don't really know. Um, but in a sense, it went from 22,000 people, if you're afraid, go. I mean, 30 to, to 10,000. 22,000 people walked away. Then down to 300. So it's getting worse. It's getting really bad. And then he says, by, and then the Lord said in verse 7, By the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. So the people took provisions, their trumpets in their hands, and he sent away all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, and retained those 300 men. And now the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. So... What do you see when God is revived? Something has happened in the church. There's been something of a move of God. Now the church remembers its purpose. It's a normal church. And the first thing that you see here, there's a lot that we could say about that people have talked about, you know, why they lapped. And, and you can get all into the meanings, which I have done before. But I want to try to keep this morning simple. It's to walk by faith. That's, that's the lesson. Walk by faith not by sight. Live by faith. Walk by faith. God has moved among them, and they've learned how to worship in a contradictory circumstance, in the walls, inside the house, inside the church. Now he sends them out and teaches them to make decisions the same way. And it's a very, very interesting because it makes no sense. It speaks to faith. It speaks from living to the unseen. Now, when you say walk by faith or live by faith, people have a strange concept of that. Live by faith, what does that mean? I must have no money. I mustn't know where my next meal's coming from. I'm not allowed to plan. No, to, to walk by faith doesn't mean I never have doubts. I never have struggles. None of that. 
None of that. It's to live from the unseen realm to the seen realm. This is Hebrews 11. Things that were seen were not made out of things that are visible. The unseen realm as the greater reality, the supernatural realm. In a Western mind, very difficult. But that is the very basis of faith. To have conviction built in my heart when I know, I know God said this, or I know this truth, or I know something, and begin to make decisions even though I cannot see it. And why do I say that's the lesson here? Because there's lots of things we could go into, but what did, what was, what did God say? What was his perspective? He said this, um, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me saying, my own hand has saved me. It's very interesting. Faith means I live from, I lean on, I rely upon, and make decisions with the conviction based on things I cannot see. And this is most damaged in a person when we fall out of love with him. Because faith, the Bible says in Galatians, is expressed through love. And when I fall out of love with him, I forget how to love people. And then I react to people instead of love people. And faith is best expressed when the love of God is in the heart for the person that's standing in front of you, even if they're screaming and shouting at you. Faith, genuine, tried faith. And he's teaching them here, don't rely on your own strength. He says, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me. Why? God is not glory hungry. You know, well, don't steal God's glory. Firstly, you're not that strong. You're just not. People get all religious about it. But why? God's not insecure. Do you ever ask these questions? I do. He's not glory hungry. He's not like you can't. He's not only wanting people to live in permanent need. And No, Why? Because he knows, more than we know, where that comes from. And it comes from the original fall in the garden. When the enemy fell, he declared five I will statements. I will ascend to the Most High. I will be like God. I will sit enthroned above the clouds. Five of them. You see it in the book of Isaiah. And the very thing that entered when the fall of man, when sin entered, death entered, the very thing that entered is self. Self. That's why I've always said the opposite of love is not hate, it's self. 1 Corinthians 13, love does not seek its own desire. So God knows. He knows that. The, I will do this. I can of myself rescue myself. It's as foolish as a person drowning trying to pick themselves out of water. Don't worry, I'll use my arm, my own strength of my own arm and I'll... I know if you've been to this church, you've heard me say this, but it's, it, it's so important because the Lord knows this. He knows if they think it's them, it will not set up worship in the land post-victory. And any generation who thinks that they have rescued themselves is the end of that generation. Any generation. So he ha it's so important to the Lord, not because he's glory hungry, it's for your good. 
You, he wants us to know it. You have to know it's me. He says, children, you have to know it's me. It's like a child. We have two boys. <laughs> My goodness. And, you know, teaching them to not, to look when they, even in the neighborhood, look when you run across the road. Because <laughs> there could be cars, you know. And, you know, it's slow, they're in the neighborhood. And my youngest son, he runs, and about halfway he does, that's it. And we're like, no, that's not really what we mean. And then he gets, you know, if he believes that everything, all his safety is from him, it puts him in danger. It's the same thing. God said, you have to see it that it's from me. You have to see me as your source. You have to see me as the greater reality. You have to learn to make decisions, to rely upon, lean upon things that I say when there's no evidence. Walk by faith. Live by faith, not by what you see. An awakened church, a normal church, starts to do that. Starts to do that. So, flesh will always... And only and forever only give birth to more flesh. And the flesh profits nothing. It cannot give birth to anything of the spirit. In other words, anything eternal. So it cannot then be empowered to convince and convict and connect into a person's heart and change that addict and can't do that. All the systems, all the programs, all the marches, all the things, unless God's in it, nothing. Nothing. When the glory goes to God, it's the only way for what is defeated of the enemy to remain defeated. And it's the only way for what is built in the kingdom to remain built. Unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. The normal church trusts God even when it makes no sense. This made absolutely no sense. There's hundreds and thousands if you go look up all the hundreds and thousands of people gathered in the valleys, numerous as locusts, they had 32,000 down to 300. I mean, it's nuts. Because with God, one is a majority. The normal church trusts God even when it makes no sense in the natural, and he trust, that trust brings about obedience even when we don't understand. In this part of the story, in this when God is teaching a church, a nation, a person, this issue, the main opportunity that the enemy brings to your door is for offense. That's the challenge in this series, in this part. He will bring offense to you regularly. They could have been offended. Look at those 22,000. Now the odds are even worse. Offended at each other. Offended at Gideon. How can you do this? You're still afraid. How can you tell them? Offended at God. How can... Multiple opportunities for, for offense when a person is learning to live by faith. Multiple. And if they can see through it and walk through it and not pick it up, God will take them further. Number two, let's go read again. It happened the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, now God's speaking to Gideon, and go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, you know it wasn't a question the Lord knew, you think, I think. If you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterwards, your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. You see, there's been revival in his heart. There's a relationship here. He's not pretending in front of God. He's not trying to behave perfectly. God knows the issues, but he's, he's hearing God's voice. 
He's walking with the Lord. And he says, Then he went down to Pura, two servants to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. Now the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, as their camels were without number, as the sand by the seashore in multitude. And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. How's this? <laughs> he said, I have had a dream. To my surprise... A loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent. It wasn't like a little tent, you know, Dick's Sporting Goods, Home Depot. No, no. We're talking military, Roman, like Wells and Roman, but military tent. You know, you don't push it over. Okay? And he says, It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell over. It fell and overturned and the tent collapsed. Then his companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon and the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand, God has delivered Midian. These are Midianites. Into his hand, God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. And it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hands. So a normal church learns to live and walk by faith, but has to watch for offense. A normal church joins his rescue mission. It's when a church goes from defensive to offense, not against people, to actually offense. It's the book of Acts. It's, it's Jesus' perspective of you. When I build my church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know, to invade the enemy's camp and not, yeah, they fought people. No, to invade the enemy's camp, to tear down the demonic strongholds so that the very people in, in, in today's world, their eyes are open, their minds that were blinded are clear, and they turn and they're in your rank now. To invade the enemy. <laughs> it's why if you're getting offended at every little thing, don't invade the enemy you'll be taken out just like that. To join God's rescue mission, some lessons. Number one, live in response to the Father, not in reaction to the enemy and not in reaction to people. Gideon waited for God to say, I've given it into your hands. He waited for God's strategy. He waited on the Lord. He didn't live in reaction. He's 300 people. What are we going to do? He can't live in reaction to the people. Live in response to the Father. Don't live in reaction to what the enemy's doing. We cannot do that. We cannot do that. So, secondly, see or learn or try or grow. See with God's perspective. Someone brought it up this morning. I said, oh, preaching about that. Seeing a normal church sees with God's perspective when it comes to invade the enemy. Think about this. He walks past this. It says, there were Midianites and Malachites, the people of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, camels without number. That would be demons, little minions. <laughs> Just oppressive forces, numerous as the sand on the seashore. That's what it says. And it's, you know, Gideon before, he just would have looked at that. Now he's looking because God said, I've got, go to this, do this, listen to this. He's looking for God's perspective. 
So he's walking in life. He's walking by faith already. There's 300 people. It's ridiculous. So he's already there. He's already, in a sense, in trouble. You know, when you've gone past the tipping point, you're like, Lord, I am on the limb. So now it's you and me and not, you know, let's see. So he's there and he's walking and I could imagine the enemy in his voice. Gee, look at, enemy's in here. Look at all the, look at the people. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know that, but whatever. I'm looking for how God sees this. Because the enemy will throw up all the oppressive voices, overwhelming voices, but he's not looking at it anymore. And what does he hear? A loaf of barley. Barley, barley was actually used for ex- extreme poor in those days, like a barley loaf, extreme poor or livestock. What is Gideon's issue? I'm a nobody. I'm the least of the weakest clan. And this guy says, this, this nobody, this nothing, came and smashed through this. Gideon's like, that's me. That's me. And he says, and that word overturned is only used three other times in the Bible for when the, the, the sword guarded the, the Garden of Eden and flashed and went every which way and for the complete annihilation and destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and the miraculous power in Exodus. And Gideon knows that as a Hebrew person. It's the complete power, El Shaddai, almighty God. Complete power for deliverance, for destruction, for breakthrough, for the miraculous. I'll flip this camp on its head just like that. He can do that in this nation quick. But he's waiting for people, for a normal church. And so Gideon hears this, and faith is born in his heart. You know the church is subdued when faith comes from what the enemy says. You know? Let me say this. If you and I could actually, for just a moment, glimpse the Lord and see and hear the enemy and how terrified he is of God, faith would come in your heart too. He's terrified of the Lord, and the Lord's in you. And Gideon, faith is born in his heart. All of a sudden... He begins to worship by faith. He knows how to do that in church. I know how to worship by faith in church. Thank you, Jesus. It's great. It's awesome. Now he's learning to worship by faith in the enemy's camp. Very different. He's worshiping before victory, but he's standing on enemy ground. Friends, when there's a battle, go to the place in your heart, in your garden, In your bedroom, if it's a business, go to that place, physical or metaphorical. Find that place in here. Find that place in here. Find go to the business. Go to the school. Don't cause trouble. You know what I'm saying. Go to that building. Go to the entrance to the city. Go to a place and there establish an altar and begin to worship God for who he is. On enemy ground. Because you're ambassadors. The Bible says you're an ambassador for Christ. You have diplomatic community. Understand that. Where you walk, heaven goes. It's just not because of you. You're the barley loaf. He's El Shaddai. And worship him on enemy ground. So, I hope this is helpful for you. Worship by faith. 
on the ground that you're about to invade. Friends, when you look at others, don't look at the bigness of the enemy in their life. Look with God's perspective. I can look at some people and see, my goodness, look at the lies, look at the destruction, look at the, I mean, it just, it's the way the Lord speaks to me. I see people, I know all the stuff. And when that started to happen, I judged people. It's like, yeah, but you're lying. Yeah, but you're doing this. And God would tell me all this stuff. And I thought, well, I'm spiritual. That's never a good sign, spiritual pride. I mean, details about people's lives. You did this, you did this. And one day I'm praying, you know, I'm praying, God, these people, these terrible people. And I'm no better, you know. You know how it is. And, uh, and he, says, he says, son, don't you think I see that stuff in you? But I don't speak to you like I don't see you like that. It's just, you know, little, bit, little change, major difference. When you look at people, don't look at the numerous, look, don't look at the stuff. Look for God's perspective in them. God, what are you saying? Where are you here, God? Ah, there you are. And speak destiny, speak identity, speak life over them. Don't look for the enemy in the heart. Look for him. Look with his eyes. And in your own heart. And then for the first time, now this is a big key in the story, and I wish I, for the first time, I believe, fear leaves Gideon and it never comes back. For the first time, he actually believed God. Why? Because he began to say exactly what God said. God said, go, arise, I've given the camp into your hand. Gideon goes back and he says to the people, arise. The Lord has delivered the camp into your hand. He begins to speak by faith and worship by faith. Because something has happened here. Dramatic change. Oh, what's the time? Jesus, help me. I'm going to go a little further. I'll just go through these quickly. It says here, verse, I think it's 15, I'm going to start. Actually, 16. Then he divided the 300 men into three companies, and he put a trumpet into every man's hand with empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. Watch, and when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then you will blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. A normal church walks by faith. A normal church, <clears throat> sorry, a normal church um, also equips the saints. A normal church equips saints. What I'm about to quickly share with you, we all want leaders like this. The world, the church needs leaders like this. Like what? Firstly, just remember 300 versus hundreds of thousands. Okay, but they're there. The first thing you see is he, he equips them with everything that they need. It says he put a trumpet and a torch and he put it in their hands. To equip people, you have to give them. People say, well, I can't give them. It's the Lord. Yeah, show them what Jesus has won. Teach them they're standing in Christ. Teach them victory. Teach them what has been destroyed in the enemy. Teach them. Give them the tools they need. Show them everything that Jesus has given. Show them the weapons of the Lord that are not carnal. Show them these things. Teach them. Put the things in their hand. Give them everything they need for victory. Because the Bible says to equip the saints. And a normal church equips saints 
A religious church watches one person. I know I'm ruffling feathers. But a normal church, you guys are the power. You guys are the main thing. Really. Show them what's been given. Then he says, look at me and do likewise. When I do this, you do this. Lead, and I'm speaking to leaders now, lead by example, not by instruction only. It's not just teach, 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 teach. Do it. Let them see you do it and have them do it with you. Lead by example. Not just teaching and more teaching and more teaching. It's, it's that thing, you know, you say to your kids, do what I do, don't do what I, uh, do what I say, don't do what I do. No, a good leader, it's by example. A shepherd goes before. He's already been there. He's walked through it. Bring them with. Lead by example, not just by, we need instruction. We need teaching. But lead by example. Why? Because there's no experts. There's no pedestals here. It's not Gideon say, look at me, the mighty Gideon, and then just wait and I'll take care of it. Some leaders do that with, with good hearts, but you're not equipping anyone. Gideon's saying, I'm in the same boat as you. I'm learning this with you. I'm growing with you. So the Lord's giving me the strategy, so I'll do it, but you do it with me. Because anytime there's an expert in the room, the church becomes spectators. And pedestals are created, and then God has to bring them down. There's a big delay on the advancing of the kingdom. Hello? A point and release. He divided 300 men into three companies. I, I don't have the time to go through this. But let me just say, take away as leaders, if you're watching online, take away all the hoop jumping, expecting people to jump through hoop after hoop after hoop. <laughs> it, 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 people don't belong to people. Take that away. See, Gideon has, how, do I, how did I write this down? Gideon has encountered the Lord. He's worshipped where no one saw in a contradicting circumstance. He's tore down the altar over their, over their lives, over his father. He, Gideon has lost his own reputation in front of his people. He heard from God. He is the one staying up, interceding, crying out. Gideon risked major offense by obeying the Lord. He did all of that stuff, and now they're positioned for victory. And at the right, he doesn't have to, you don't have to take the people. Win it in the garden of Gethsemane like Jesus. When Gideon heard that, the battle was won here. He won it in the spirit realm. It is already won in his heart. Then you gather the people and you let them experience victory with you. Yeah? Don't make them jump through hoop and hoop and hoop. Gather them when you, there's victory. Then gather and let them walk with you. Let them experience victory. Isn't that what Jesus did with his disciples? Isn't that what Jesus has done for you? That's... Leadership in the kingdom. Sorry, I'm going fast here. Can I do the last one? I'll just say this to you. A normal church begins to shine in the darkness. I'm not going to read it to you. You can go home and read. What he did was he had trumpets and torches and pitchers. Now, I've gone and studied the Hebrew and all. It's not a stone pitcher. It was a clay vessel. It was a big clay vessel, clay pot. And it's crazy. Think about this. Hundreds of thousands, 300. And this is the instruction Gideon gives them. Stand on the hill, take a torch in your left hand. You know, like not a flashlight. It's like a torch, you know. Take a torch and light it and put over that, it'll cover the whole thing, a massive clay-like vessel. 
So it's, picture, it's shining, but you can't see it. Bright, but you can't see it. In the other hand, take a trumpet. This is the, one of the few battles in the Old Testament that looked like the New Testament. There's no carnal weapons there. I mean, I'm sure they had swords or something, but in their hands, there's nothing for fighting. <laughs> yeah, it's him. Nothing. There's, there's, I mean, 300, a trumpet. What are you going to do? <laughs> hit, him in, hit him with a trumpet, blow it really loud in his ear, maybe. Yeah, I, I mean, what are you going to do? Stab him? With, I don't know. So there's, there's no carnal weapons. Jesus, God's pointing to something here. The trumpet is the word of God to declare the gospel, the clarion sound, the power of God's word, the authority of God's word in, from the heart. And the torch is the Holy Spirit. But what's covering over it? You go look. It's in 2 Corinthians 4. You know the, actually I'm going to read it to you. Last scripture. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who was shone in our hearts inside. To give light, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In other words, a lot. To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. But, where is it? We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Some translations say in jars of clay. That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Back to the beginning. It cannot be them. They have to know it's me. So Gideon stands there and he says, all right, when I do, we're going to do this together. When I blow the trumpet, all 300, three separate companies of 100 each, standing in pitch dark, right? Can't see, by faith. Can't see, don't understand. There's numbers, numerous. Here we're standing with a trumpet and a torch, and we've covered the torch. I mean, it's weird. It's just weird. And Gideon says, I'm going to blow the trumpet. When I do that, you will blow the trumpet and then smash, smash this clay vessel. That clay vessel is you. That's you. <laughs> the old man, the flesh, the very light and the glory of God, no matter what you, if you're saved, I don't care what you're involved in. I don't want you maybe to do it, but the same light lives in you that lived in Jesus Christ. Same power, same light, but people can't see it because it's covered by the clay vessel. And he says, all right, smash the old man. Smash the flesh. Let that be broken. And let the light you hold in your hand, the spirit and the word. And they stand there. And when a person, is, it, they don't even see it as dying to self or trying to be good. They see it as becoming who God says that they are. They see it as shining with the glory and the light and the power of the Lord from their life. And there they stand in the dark, but now with this loud sound of heaven. Trumpets, God's word, and God's spirit. And they just stand there and they watch the enemy panic and destroy itself. <laughs> Let the light of normal church in the Bible, light will always shine and destroy darkness. Always. 
And unfortunately, for years, it's like people see that in the Bible, so then they try to force it upon people. Be better, be better, and it just doesn't work. It comes from the inside out. From the inside out. And the glory of God shines, and His church shines. And the enemy is now terrified, and now they we know that they're terrified, and they just destroy each other. <sighs> awake, awake, put on strength. Put on your beautiful garments. Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. There is more I could say. Sorry I had to rush through some of that. Friends, I just want to encourage you. You know, allow the Lord to take you through these journeys. Allow the Lord to put dreams in your heart again. Allow the Lord to show us as a church, as a people, when there's division all around. You see, one of the strategies of the enemy in that last point, he will come with what? Mutiny, to usurp authority. <laughs> Always. Because if the church can fight each other, he, you know, he doesn't have to do anything. But there's something in this story, I encourage you to go read it, read it with New Testament lenses. Judges 7, what happens when the church understands who they are? What happens when the church understands that it's not from them, but yet they know who they are, and begins to stand up and take it outside? whole different world because we can tear down strongholds over our own lives all day long if we need to do that but yet it seems and I've seen it throughout history certain it's like God will move but the stronghold and the city remains the stronghold over the nation remains and the church when it's in a sense the normal church the awakened church doesn't use carnal weapons to try and change the world they use spiritual weapons of unmatched authority and power to bring change, but they do it out there in very natural, practical ways. I hope that helps you. I hope that makes sense. Can I pray for us? Why don't you stand? Thank you. I went over. I ran a little bit short, so then I ran a little bit long. <laughs> Happy Father's Day. I really mean that. I'm going to go and eat some steak as soon as I can. So I hope you do the same, Father, some sort of meat. So can we pray? If something stuck out to you in your heart, I'm going to ask you just quickly, just say, Lord, you know, under your breath, when, when I pray, Lord, show me that. It's not something of, yeah, wow, you know, I'm doing that, or look at that person. No, no, it's, Lord, teach me that. Teach me that. Teach me to see like you see. Teach me to see from your perspective. Teach me what it means to invade the enemy's camp. Teach me to get your strategy. Teach me to walk by faith. Because I'm a Christian. I'm supernatural by definition. Everyone, every person here is supernatural by definition. So what does that mean, Lord? Show me. Begin to show me. And then this week, don't just move on. This week, go read it. Show me, Lord. Show me. And you'll see the Lord begins to change and stir the heart. Holy Spirit, I thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you 
that you have all power, all authority, all dominion. I thank you that you have provided us with everything we need, Lord. And I pray for revelation upon your people to show, to see, and to awaken all of us, Lord. We bless you. We pray for our cities. We pray for our nation, for our nations, for those watching online. Lord, we thank you that you have put us here on this earth for such a time as this. Teach us to awaken. Awaken our hearts. Arise, people of God. We thank you, Lord. It is no mistake that we live where we live and that we're alive on the earth at this time. Let us see from your perspective. I cry that to you, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.